This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Listen to me, people, and listen to me good. People aren't doing the things that people should. And I've gotten mighty tired of watching from above. All you people killing people And all in the name of love for me Well, it's just one thing I know of To wash away the blood Looks like it's time for another mother flood Well, never mind, galoshes Don't you bother about the boat mm, This time when I pull the plug Hey, hey, that's all she wrote No two by two is gonna do this time I start from scratch And I'll have you know My pinky toe could build a better badge Now how are you gonna kill your brother Under 50 miles of mud Get your umbrella It's time for another mother flood Well I know I made a promise That the first will be the last But the raven's back on Everett And the rainbow's fading fast a tragedy, you know that just ain't true. Don't no one cry for dinosaurs, won't no one cry for you. Yeah, you know that's true. That was our dear friend of the show, Eric Schwartz, my personal music director in my life. I, I know most people don't have a music director, but <laughs> I do. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Waking from the American Dream. It's Thursday. It's 5 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, 5.04, actually. And uh, <laughs> the sun is still out. It's exciting. This time of year, it starts to 
you know, it starts to just kind of roll over a little bit and you start to feel like, oh, there might be some buds on the tree soon. Actually, I did see some this morning on a tree walking my dogs and I was like, oh, look, flowers, spring, wait, January, confused. <laughs> uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, January 31st, we made it. We made it through the first goddamn month of 2013. How did we do it? I do not know. With, uh, hmm, with a lot of love, I'm guessing, with a lot of love. So, uh, what's going on? I don't, you know what? I never, I'm not paying attention anymore. I refuse. I'm refusing to pay attention. I kind of look on Twitter and I see, oh, I see Chuck Hagel's at the Senate hearing today. Lots of people tweeting about it. Lots of people watching it. I'm like, you know, good for them. I'm going to let them watch it and report on it because I'm not. <laughs> I'm kind of done. I don't know how long this is going to last, but it's feeling really, really good to be done. <laughs> I am done. I'm so done with you people. No, not you people listening. You know, those other people, the ones sitting behind you. Yes, them. I'm done with them. Done with all this craziness. Uh, so uh, last night, I had the amazing privilege to go and see The Who live on stage and... Uh, how it came about was I was watching that Sandy Hurricane benefit and watching, you know, I mean, when Bruce Springsteen opens, you know, it's going to be a good show. And uh, he's the opener. And uh, just, you know, all these amazing bands are coming on and the Rolling Stones came on. And, you know, I, I, there's certain aspects of the Stones I love. I mean, I love the Stones. I love the Beatles. I love all the great bands, right? And but the Stones came out and they did like two songs. And I don't know if, you know, Mick had the flu or they had to catch a plane to China. I don't know what, but they did two songs. And then a little while later, The Who came out. And I think they did like six songs. Like they just fucking shredded the stage up. And I'm thinking, I'm looking him up. Like, how old is Roger Daltrey? 68 years old. And he's like ripped. Uh, Pete Townsend, genius, genius. Uh, so I like immediately went online and bought tickets to go see them here in LA. And, uh, cause I'd never seen them live. And, uh, it was amazing. It was really, really amazing. And, you know, one of the things is when I go and see a show, especially when you're being exposed to someone or people who've been doing it for decades, there's a level of mastery going on that's you can only do by having a hundred thousand hours of experience in your body. And, that's what I was watching last night, both the music and the visuals behind them. It was just, it was so beautifully perfect. They did all of Quadrophenia and then they did like five or six of their biggest hits at the end. Uh, and, and I was watching in the middle somewhere and I thought, wow, you know, this is what life is all about. Life is about, you just have to leave it all on the stage, all of it. And so I was um, inspired to write something about it this morning. Leave it all on the stage. Stop playing that cat and mouse game with life. Get over yourself and get on with it. Or if you can't get over yourself, use it. Put all of your angst, worry, rage, fed upness, confusion, and horror into the meat grinder and crank that motherfucker. See what comes out. Yes, it, it'll be sausage. No, no, not sausage. Okay, maybe sausage, but it'll be out of you and into a new form. Fine, fine. Don't put it in the meat grinder. Put it in a delicately small oyster and let the friction of concentration and effort and time shape it into a brand new thing. Shiny, round, 
and a glow. Have you had one of those moments lately when you see something of profound beauty, something that wakes up every cell in your body-mind? You know that feeling that the world has just aligned to bring you a moment that makes it all feel like this thing called life just might make sense? Peak Experiences It is spelled P-E-A-K for the understanding that you've reached a peak, a high of some sort. I'd rather it be spelled P-E-E-K for the peak, the glimpse it gives you of your true self. I've been on a mad diet for five weeks of no alcohol, a bit of morning meditation, and a high dose of wonder. When I walk the dogs, I know there will be a moment when I will find beauty. When I leave the house for an errand, I trust there will be a prime example of humanity in someone I encounter when I sit and when I sit down to write. I believe that what must be said will show up before my pen is done writing the last word. I have not done any of this to be better than, more perfect than, or to feel superior to anyone. No. I've done this because as I approach turning 50 this year, I no longer want to miss out. I now really, really get there is no silver bullet or perfect candidate or healthy lifestyle that will protect me or you or the babies from war, injustice, and death. There is no father figure from the sky or my life or my TV that can protect me from feeling gut-wrenching pain on some days. There is no mother figure that can enclose me in her arms enough to take away all the sadness and terror that life serves up daily on this big, round, blue ball. No. 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 It's clear to me that humanity cannot get over itself. But can I? Can you? Can you let go of the story that leaves you at the gate while your time rushes away from you? The story that blames your parents, your town, your God for the fact that you can't get off the couch and out of your sweatpants. You know, the one that tells you, what's the point? No one cares. No one will listen or look or pay attention, even if you do make it off this fucking couch. Exactly. Yeah, that one, that voice, that voice that says there's no point because nothing will change. They'll just win anyway. So I'm going to enjoy my little corner of saturated fat, oversalted entertainment and to hell with them. It's true. That voice does have a bit of reality to share. Not much will change out there. There will still be emperors laughing while the Christians battle the lions. Uh, Nero will be fiddling as Rome burns, and the Kardashians will be sporting this season's most fab togas while the empire falls. In a decade or two, or twenty, there will still be war, injustice, and death. There always has been, and there always will be. Let's let that one sink in a bit. The nasty stuff is not changing. Period. So then, what do we do? Spend the next 20, 30, 40 years numbing yourself to the fact that, or the next, or do you wake up in the next 30 days? Can you get up daily and inoculate yourself with a glimpse of beauty, a bowl of soul, a dose of wonder, because no one No one is handing that out on the corner. Can you seek it out with the discipline of a Zen master? Can you then give it back? Let it out. Fling your hips. Sing your words. Shout your love. Can you leave it all on the stage? I mean, 
leave every fucking molecule of your soul on the stage? Women always raving about their monkey men, about their trifling husbands and their no good friends. Now peaceful women sit around how they moan, wondering why their wandering papas don't come home. Why women don't worry? Why? Don't get the blues. Tell a girlfriend I got a disposition And a way of my own I don't plan to spend a single Night alone You know I I go out I drink good whiskey I walk the streets all night Then I kick my man out if you don't act right Wild women don't worry Wild women don't get the Get nothing, Chuck, by being an angel child. That's right, Chuck. Got to change your way of living. Try to act real wild. Oh, no, Chuck. I want to tell you something. I wouldn't tell no lies. Wild women are the only kind that ever get by. Wild women don't worry. Why? That was Spanky McFarlane from uh, Spanky and the Gang from back in the 60s. That's someone who fucking leaves it on the stage, people.
this woman, she doesn't fuck around at all when she's up on stage or in life. I mean, she just, ah, uh, she squeezes every moment out of it. It's a damn beautiful thing. Damn beautiful thing. We had her here about, oh God, like nine months ago. We were lucky enough. We should have recorded it. We had a whole party here in the back and we all got to sing, sing with Spanky. It was amazing. So anyway, uh, folks, the moment you've been waiting for since, oh, I don't know, mid-December when I had an amazing conversation with my Uncle Pat and yet – um it it didn't go anywhere. It didn't even go into a computer. It didn't even go into the airwaves. It just went between Uncle Pat and I. And well, you know, that's the way life is sometimes. Uh, so um, anyway, I, how can I how can I introduce my uncle? Well, he's my uncle. <laughs> he's uh, Patrick Carlin. And uh, he was my dad's older brother. And he and my dad had a very, very special relationship. They they talk to each other almost every single day. Uh, they both have have an interesting point of view. And in fact, a lot of people don't know this, but my dad, especially in the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years of his career, he he was really uh, inspired by Patrick. You know, Patrick's got a, a, a point of view that's unique and uh, just... Hmm, talk about leaving it on the stage. He just owns who he is and, uh, and loves it. So, uh, I'm having him on here for a lot of reasons. One of which it's, uh, overdue because he and I, uh, I love talking to my uncle and, but it's really, really exciting. My uncle has a new book out and it's called Ken fucking Sabe. Of course, it doesn't say fucking because, you know, they can't do that or someone can't do that. We can though. We can say it here. Uh, and it's, it's like Patrick's version of, of, you know, if any of us were going to write a brain droppings type of book, this is Patrick's brain droppings, basically. And um, so Patrick is in uh, upstate New York. And uh, welcome, Uncle Pat. How you doing, Cal? I'm doing good. How you doing tonight? Well, very fine. And I was listening to all that stuff you were saying. And it's so on the money with the way George and I were, you know. And part of it in the book here, it's, it's a strange little book, and part of it is all about Reefer and me. Yes. And remember that part? Yes, yes. The story of Reefer and you, absolutely, like a whole history. Yeah, and it's in there, and you know, your dad played such a big part in that, because I I would bump into Reefer from time to time, but always with the head full of gin and beer. Right. And... Yeah, you know, the alcoholic fumes would fight off the benefits of the THC <laughs> that was <laughs> trying to get in there. And after after I finally quit drinking, you know, for a 33rd birthday present to myself and the rest of the world, uh, I uh, I had two years of sobriety when your dad came west and started me smoking, you know, the right way oh, yes. without alcohol. Yes. Oh, Kelly, and it was beautiful. So uh, that was so funny listening to you say that. And then the intro with Spanky and everything, who he was into from way back there, and they were a big <laughs> part of that that section of the book, too. So. Yes, they certainly all, you all smoked a lot of weed together up in Topanga Canyon when I was a kid. Oh, God. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. 
Ah, yes, it was, and those were halcyon days. <laughs> yes, the definition of absolutely. So, yeah, I, I thought we would start um, not 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 with the book first, but I I just read an essay on here, and part of what I t- talked about in the essay, and I didn't, I originally had quoted you in the essay, but then I decided to do it differently and and kind of leave that part for us to talk about. And I have a section here in the essay where I talk about how. You know, there's there's always going to be uh, injustice and and uh, death and and difficulty in life. Uh, it's it's not going away, people. You know, and right. uh, and and I almost wrote at the end of that uh, little area here. I almost wrote, you know, fuck hope, but I didn't. <laughs> right. See, he's laughing because he knows. Because see, fuck hope became this thing, uh, which. It was funny because I first heard it from Doc, who was a, a good friend of my dad, who was a performance artist who I used to work with. He was this amazing man who was completely off the grid of America. He grew up in the 20s with a ton of money and became an amazing artist. And um, and I remember sitting in my dad's driveway one day and Doc looked at me and he said, well, you know, Kelly, you know, the way you got to live is just fuck hope. And I looked. Oh, yeah. At, yeah. And I looked at him and I think I was like 20 eight years old, 27, 28. And my, the whole bottom of my world w- like fell out in that moment because I was like, you know, what the, huh? I like, how does, you can't do that to me now. And then, you know, he said, well, yeah, I got that from your dad. And then of course I find out that, you know, you and my dad had been discussing this major philosophical point for quite a while. Yeah. And so I'd like to hear your little take on, you know, what's, what is up with this fuck hope stuff? Well, uh, I take it down uh, through the girl you got interested in, if you read the book, and I know you did, Kelly, Alice in Wonderland. Yes. I let her distill that for me. Yes. And the way this this happened is uh, you just take it to the ultimate. It's going to end in a black hole, Kel. Right. <laughs> right. No, right. No matter, no matter how well we do, no matter how good we excel, and no matter if artificial intelligence comes in and saves us from ourselves, eventually our golden sunball becomes a big red baby and burns everything to a crisp. Yep. Then we suck into that black hole and all those beautiful baby stars come out, Kel. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, that's us. Your dad's ashes that we spread everywhere, they're out there mingling right now. Yes, yes, they are. It's all the universe. Mm. And I'll tell you, man, the universe is beautiful, Kelly, and we don't need to mess with it. And that's why she has that little poem in the book of hopelessness is not a bummer. <laughs> which is which is the slogan on the back of the shirt, which I love. <laughs> yes. And Kelly, I want to tell you something. So many people, it relieves them. And dig what they say. I've got it on the back of a business card now. Nice. I got a regular official business card and it has my name on it and phone number and all the uh, thing, how to get onto my website. Jesus Christ, and, that sounds way too official. Oh, I'm getting up there, Cal. <laughs> I'm breaking out of the Luddite ranks and coming up and getting into the 21st century. It's a wonderful feeling. But you know what I got? Just like on the back of that T-shirt, I've got on the back of the business card, hopelessness is not a bummer. Mm-hmm. And when, when I lay the card on someone, I lay it on them 
with the hopelessness is not a bummer part up, and man, they say stuff. They love it. They laugh. But guys will say stuff like, of course, it's not a bummer, Patrick. It's motivation, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know some nice people, Kel. You know that. Yeah, and, and okay. I and I know for me, like, the whole, I mean, once I really wrapped my head around fuck hope, you know, it, it, it feels like it's going to be this, like, this darkness, like, you know, it's going to be this fatalism or something like that. And, yeah. And yet it isn't, because when you go all the way through it, because with hope, you're always kind of on this rat race treadmill to perfect and to progress and to and that's all well and good you know progression's good and evolution's fine and here we are we're we're doing it whether whether it, we like it or not but right there, there's something about then getting to like put the brakes on and um realize that any joy you're going to get out of this life you've got to squeeze it out yourself yeah, man. And it's a day-to-day trip, Kelly. And just enjoy the hell out of it. Now, dig this. She happens to be on page 32 of the book. Yes. And I, I title that page up. I say, A Poem to Cheer You <laughs> by Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> she's just a swell little gal. And here she says, Hopelessness is not a bomber. Life is just a happy drummer accompanied by a guitar strummer, something like that. You know where it's at. Hopelessness is not a bummer. You can be a fee-fi-fo-fummer, Johnny-come-lately, up-and-comer, drinking Coke with lots of rummer, something like that. Don't be hi-hat. Hopelessness is not a bummer, so cheer up and don't be glum, or ask Tweedledee or Tweedledummer, something like that. Hang on to your cat. Hopelessness, hopelessness, not as bad as you think. In a few billion years, it all goes down the sink. Hopelessness, hopelessness, nothing's in our control. Eventually, you lucky fucks, it ends in a black hole. (laughs) If that don't cheer you up, nothing will, Cal. Oh, good old Alice. Good, good old yeah. Allison, yes. So and she works. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You say. Well, I was going to say she works on the daily shit. Yeah. So tell, tell, tell the folks That's, out there what that is. The daily shit is the, uh, it's, a, it's a newspaper that I keep up in my head. And any of you folks who like to watch the old movies and stuff, it's like the newsrooms were in those 1930s and 40s places. Lots of action, lots of activity, and we've got people up there. And that little newsroom has these folks on the staff. These are members of the staff of The Daily Shit. Mr. Romance, he's the relationships editor. And Mr. R says, if you're not getting into her knickers, it's not much of a relationship. (laughs) Alice in Wonderland is this girl who is a gardening, organics, and all things herbal. Allison believes that hopelessness is not a bummer and wonders why when narcs make marijuana busts, they don't distribute the seized weed to needy hippies. <laughs> Our kind of girl. Yes. <laughs> we, we, you got friends like that, Kelly. Yes, I do. <laughs> And uh, yeah, here's Senator Argo Stropmore. He's a retired senator. He's the political news at the Daily Shit. And Stropmore retired during an ethics investigation in Congress. 
No ethics were found, and the senator became a freelance lobbyist and a part-time columnist. That's columnist, not communist. There's not a speck of red in the old senator. The American flag in his office has blue and white stripes. <laughs> in his retirement speech, he told America how Washington works. Doors will be closed. Cigars will be smoked. Brandy will be poured. Those outside the room will suffer. The quotation caught on, and the words hang on many walls. Kelly, let me lay a sidebar on you about yes. this guy on the daily shit. Senator Argo Stropmore, that thing about doors will be closed, yes. cigars will be smoked, brandy will be poured, those outside the room will suffer. The day that I wrote that, I read it to you, Dad. Mm. And he just fucking loved it, you know? <laughs> He said, oh, oh, he said, don't ever, don't ever lose that. You know, he was so encouraging, you know. Yeah. And it was him that got me into writing, you know, way back in 1969 after I'd been, you know, after he'd come out there for a couple of years and he heard me shooting the shit with some car guys, you know. And he said, you should be writing that shit down, man. <laughs> so that's when I started writing all these notes on the yellow paths and things and that I went hunting through here. Yeah, that so the uh, to, so the listeners know that uh, it, it, uh, Pat explains in the book that this is this is a compilation of uh, th this these yellow pads that every morning he wakes up, sits down, has a cup of joe, lights a J, and takes <laughs> takes notes. <laughs> <laughs> takes notes from the universe and uh and i'm telling you it's it's a great i mean you know it's it's something i i you know i encourage people to do i whether you want to do the drugs or not or the coffee or whatever you do but sitting down and like having enough respect for the thoughts and the people in your head that you actually write these things down uh, is for me, it's everything these days, everything. So I, I'm so glad, Kelly, you're telling people that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I've been reading, uh, Emerson's, um, self-reliance lately, uh, a great essay. And, uh, you know, this is what he says is, you know, everyone's got a unique voice and, and, to, and to ignore it is to ignore, uh, the divine, basically. So, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, one of the things I remember was like, I don't know when it was, I think it was about six years ago. And I was up visiting you and Aunt Marlene. And we had this great morning and I was sitting there and I was sitting by a window. We we're up, we we're up near Woodstock in the old, old house. And just sitting there and I was writing in my journal and you were in your office and you were scribbling on your pad or something. And then you came out and you read some stuff to me that you'd been, you know, writing and, and, you know, shared some of this stuff with me and, and then shared some stuff that you'd written like 30 years earlier or whatever. And, and, yeah. and, and that's when it dawned on me. I like, I really had a profound moment, which is really strange because, you know, I've been the daughter of my dad for, you know, fucking decades, but it was, yeah. in, but it was in that moment when I realized it was like, Oh, we're Carlins and we can't fucking help ourselves. We have to sit down. We think about what's going on around us. We filter it through these 
particular minds of ours, and then we have to write it or speak it or say it or something. Yeah. Because we yeah. we can't keep it. It just it just doesn't stay. It explodes, man. <laughs> it's like your dad said we got monkey brains. Yes, exactly. Got to be busy doing shit. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and it, and it and it can feel like that that monkey brain thing where you're like I don't know who the fuck's going to hear this or read this ever, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I remember watching my dad, he would write every single fucking thought he had consciously, like if he had a thought and he thought it was worthwhile, he would stop the car, pull over, write it down. I mean, whatever it was. So, oh, yeah, there's something about these monkey minds. And you got to you got to pay attention to your cousin, Dennis, man. Because this guy, he was just back here visiting us over Christmas and stuff, and I would say shit, and he'd say, write that down, man. That's <laughs> <Yes>, good. <laughs> I'd say, whoa, and he did, and I got, I pay attention, and I do, and I'm, I'm writing even more down. What the, the way I like shit to happen is like by vibes, Kel, you know that, man. We're kind of loosey-goosey here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what happened when I started looking through these folders to, to put this book together, what I got was... Uh, certain guys would get a pile of shit under their name, like Mr. Romance. <laughs> Things would start piling up, and I said, well, yeah. this is a character I should use and all. And the guy I came up with for a lot of my religious bullshit, when I think about the religious thing, like the Pope ought to say, you know, he speaks seven languages, you ought to be able to say in one of those languages, put a condom on that fucking thing, guys. <laughs> you know, slow, slow down a little here. So, you know, I, I have that attitude, and I say, well, who would say that? Well, you know, Mr. Romance might say that, but it would more be up the line of Dominic Vobiscum. <laughs> what a great name. Yeah, <laughs> Dominic Vobiscum. He also works on the daily shit, and he's the religion and entertainment news. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that a nice case? That That's I can a nice combo. Nice combo. It's handy. Well, he explains it. He says, I get into religious reporting because I was already covering entertainment here at the shit. <laughs> and religion seemed like a natural. For me, religion and entertainment go together like a dose of crabs and blue ointment. <laughs> Let me say a word here to any halfwits out there who hate the Jews for whatever bizarre reasons you may harbor. You got to give the Jews credit for one thing. They don't come around knocking on your door asking you to join their outfit. <laughs> they don't ask you what are you doing for your soul or offer to share the secret of eternal salvation with you. I like that. So then, <laughs> all that religious shit, that's how you make editor on this paper. That's how you make editor that's on this paper by it. having a good load of bullshit under your name. That's right. Frank, yeah. You know, Frank the Wanderer, he does on the news, on the road news. And Frank believes that life is about dealing with shit. And a nice basic thought. That's like, <laughs> what's life about? It's about dealing with shit, yeah. And he, he thinks the rules is flex, flexible guidelines and would never let a rule get in the way of having a little fun. <laughs> These are guys who contribute to this wonderful paper. Johnny Muscatel Murphy. <laughs> He handles the dining and wine situation. So that's the group, Kel, and they're all in the book. Oh yeah, they're great. They're so they're great. There's some um uh I, I circled some quotes here that I just love, some of my favorite ones. Uh uh <laughs> Frank the Wanderer here says, uh 
Brazen is a word that authoritarian assholes use to describe school kids who refuse to swallow all the bullshit being laid on them. <laughs> ah, I knew you'd go for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because that makes me think of, you know, whenever you watch, just makes me think of watching CNN, you know, and whatever the fucking local pundit that is today talking about whatever it is. And they've all got their little buzzwords and they're all going to fucking categorize the people involved with some sly little adjectives, you know. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Yeah, and they got their code words. And we were watching the what we call the Benghazi Inquisition. Yes. When uh, when they sat there and they had Hillary and they were going to give her a good ration of shit. Yep. And I watched her work out on that skinny prick from uh, Wisconsin, <laughs> that senator, whoever that dork was. And uh, he said a whole, and she said, wait a minute, we're talking about the dead. And that was so beautiful. Yeah. And she stomped right on him and he had it coming because, you know, they sit there and they say that kind of stuff like, uh, I'm troubled. I'm concerned. (laughs) I'm disturbed. You know, they're, they're. They're just, well, I'm disturbed by what I see here. And it's such phony horseshit. Uh, You know, why do they just get up there and say, you know, this guy's a lying son of a bitch. And, you know, I hate his fucking gut. (laughs) It would be a lot more more fun to watch them, Cal. It would save a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah. I'm troubled. I'm concerned. Yeah. No, I got a big hard on for this prick since he tried to defeat me, you know, last so-and-so. Let's yep. get him out of here. Yep. He's a dirty, low-down polecat. I don't <laughs> want to do anything odd hominem about him, but his whole fucking family is full of shit. <laughs> he used to steal his mother's gin money, for Christ's sake. You know, get in there and say it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, no, it's all... Uh... Yeah, there's no there's no straight talking. There's no there's no talking about anything anymore. It's you know, <sighs> it's, it's fun for us. Kel. It's entertaining. It is. It's entertaining. Oh, I like it. And, I sure do. I know. I know. I, I used to get pissed off, but I swear to God, I don't anymore. It's hard to get pissed off when people are doing what you expect them to do. You know. I looked down, I said, Jesus Christ, that's a snake slithering there. That's right. That's what a snake does. He <laughs> yeah, slithers, you know. That, yeah, don't get pissed off about it. That, Bird shits on you. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great, great point. And, uh, you know, because I see people getting uh, so frustrated with, with you know, public, oh, public discourse oh. and everything. And I just think... I think that too. I think really, you you think these people are going to say something different? I mean, this is this is their position, and this is how you know they want to you know kind of represent themselves in the public, and uh, and and so why why let it get you know get your blood pressure up? I mean, you know, I'm a victim to it too, and I and it, some I mean, you know, especially the real idiots. I, I just think yeah. really, how do they get? A, that's the part that drives me crazy. It's like how do they think they're going to get away with it? That's what always. Do they really think we're that stupid? Or I, I, well, obviously they we they do yeah. because someone voted him in. <laughs> Listen, they know it, man. They know the public. Cal. Oh God, yeah, they know they can get away with it. Well, you know what? Uh, here, here's a quote from the old professor from the book. Here he says, uh, "Sometimes I think about the future and wonder what's going to occur. Then I go read some history and I say, oh, yeah, of course.'" <laughs> Isn't that beautiful, Cal? Yes, 
Yes. That's why he's so smart. Exactly. He, he pays attention to what happened in front. See, he's the kind of guy. And you know, you walk down, you walk down the road of life there, and you see the big wooden fence with the hole in the fence there mm-hmm. uh, beside of your head. Mm-hmm. And you know, it says uh, "ladies, naked ladies workout area." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, the average guy will stick his head right through that fence, man, and then he'll get all surprised when he gets bashed in the head with a Louisville Slugger that a guy is swinging in there. Right. And, yeah, the, 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 the smart guy, the, the, the reasonably hip guy, the guy we call the lucky guy, because I found out that, you know, luck is a, is a big, big portion of life. Mm. And a big, big portion of luck is called paying attention, Kelly. Mm. It's called paying attention. So, see, the lucky guy goes down that street the second time, and he just glances at that hole where the naked ladies are working, and he keeps right on walking. But the average dude, Kel, <laughs> the average dude, sticks his head in there again just because this time it might be different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Mr. Bat, Mr. Bat is still in motion, man. Yeah. So there you go. And some of them just keep doing it forever and ever. Uh, yeah, and, that, uh, that's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting a different outcome. Yeah, we're out there among them, and, and I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey Kel, on page 78, I got a, I got a tune. You oh. know that? Do share. My baggy. My baggy's empty blues. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a guy to do that up here, a saxophone dude. My baggies is empty as a yuppie's head. I used to have an ounce of Columbo red. Now I got nothing but an empty baggie. My shirt don't fit and my pants are saggy. Yesterday's party is tomorrow's wake. What they don't give you, you better take. It's no fun when your stash is gone. Nothing for your lobes and life goes on. My baggie's empty, but I got some seeds. That'll take care of all my future needs. Then come October, I can spread the news. I ain't no longer got the empty baggie blues. Till then, baby, it's up to you. Blow a little of that smoke my way, baby. Mmm, you got good taste. Come October, I won't have those empty baggy blues. (laughs) (laughs) You got to sing about what's close to your heart. You know how that is. (laughs) That's right. Sing what you know. Sing what you know. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I turned to the empty baggy blues and I I got Mr. Romance on the same page. Yes. Right under that, and Mr. Romance says, and this is on the cover of the book. It's one of the questions we ask on the book. We we say why you should open it, and it says, you know, what do you think is the difference, Mr. Romance thinks, between a balmy day and a sultry day? They are not the same. And the difference is, balmy is soothing, mild, pleasant, a balmy day. Sultry is hot, humid, and muggy. Guy's got a much better chance of scoring some pussy on a sultry day than on a balmy day. (laughs) 
these are things you can learn. You can <laughs> learn these things. You know what? I got I got a message from one of the guys in the neighborhood, Cal, and I don't want to lay his name out because he signed off with with saying Reefer Man is coming. But the dude was there when we you threw your dad's ashes down on 120th Street. Uh huh. And I laid a book on him, and he wrote back and he said, "If I'd have heard from Mister Romance 30 years ago, I'd have saved a lot of money on divorces." <laughs> Ain't that nice? Yeah, and he's on wife number four now, but it's working out nicely. See, yeah, because Mister Romance, he he knows he knows how to how to work the ladies. He uh, what's uh, his some of his advice is pretty uh, pretty good here. I'm trying to look at. It. He's got a. He's his way of dealing with women. Uh, he knows how to answer questions from women. I don't know where that section is, but it's so funny. He's um he's he's not what I would call the most mm, feminist thinking thinker on the planet. <laughs> Boy, that's nice, Cal. You know, I mean, I'm giving him some leeway there. You know, but it's very charitable. <laughs> you know, just you know, I I know his his heart's in the right place. You know, and yes. and you know. Um, I, I think, you know, deep down inside, as we know, with all these uh, voices in your head, we all have a Mr. Uh, romance somewhere. He is, a good, he is a good soul, basically. And he, he says a lot of times, he says a lot of times he's accused of not being sensitive, Kelly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And he says, bullshit, bullshit, muchacha. He says, I never fucked a chick in my life who didn't want to get fucked. And if that ain't sensitive, what is? So, you know, he's, you go. he's got standards. This is important to know, yes. Oh, yes. He's a, he's a decent guy. And he has a protege, you know, that young Juan de Fumar. Oh. Juan de Fumar, yeah, he wrote, Juan wrote a couple. Of, he just wrote two poems, and it doesn't explain much where he's from, but Juan is actually a young Puerto Rican dude. And uh, he's got a nice uh, pinstripe suit, and uh, he, he looks a lot. Of, he reminds me a lot of one of my buddies from when I was growing up. The kid who taught me how to do the mambo, man, mm. way back in like 1946. Cal. <laughs> but Juan de Fumar is like a pencil line mustache, you know, good-looking young dude, mm-hmm. and uh, he if he's a, a young version of Mister Romance. He wrote this one called Smoke Rings Dose. It's September. I'm rolling east on a rhythmically rocking train, racing through the prairie, through oceans of golden grain. You walk into the observation car where I sit alone. Your tits are like ripe melons. I'm getting a bone. The fields are in need of harvesting. I picture you in my bed. I'm thinking of skipping dinner to dine on your chocha instead. (laughs) You take the seat next to mine, hiking your skirt to mid-thigh. There's gin on your breath and a feral look in your eye. My heart gets so happy it starts to do a glissade. Oh, yo, baby, someone's about to get laid. <laughs> there, right for your heart. Huh, you know. With Valentine's Day coming. Pa- poetry. I mean, pure, pure uh, pastoral poetry, uh, pastoral pornography. Maybe we could call it that. 
It's, yes. a, it's a whole new genre. <laughs> yeah, well, some of the fun of that for me was through the fields of yes. golden grain. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> On the train and all. I love to mingle that shit. Here, I just happened, without even meaning to, I just happened to fall onto the page that has Smoke Rings Uno. Because <laughs> you know the way I have this book organized. These things are not all together. Yes, yes. Here's Smoke Rings Uno. Under the tropical moon, I'm dancing with you. Alone on the patio, we've been smoking some boo. We're not doing a mambo or a fandango. We're dancing to Valentino's tango. You're wearing nothing under your sleek satin gown. I got a heart on that just won't go down. It's two in the morning. Your eyes are the color of jade. Yo, baby, someone's about to get laid. <laughs> there you go. I mean, these these things are here. They're here for you, Valentine's people. So, so the fun thing that I love about this book is that you know it's like you have all these points, perspectives inside your head, and the fun part is is you let all of them have a voice, and and you <laughs> and, and you and it's like you know that like some of them are like. Well, you know, like Mr. Romance, you know, it's just, it's, it's just so, it's so ridiculously, uh, you know, uh, just, know, it's, it's so ridiculous. And yet there's something so lovely about his perspective because he's just, he's just bottom line. He's the bottom line guy. We know where he's at. And, yes. and I love it because you don't judge any of these characters. You let them have their voice in their life. And I'm telling you, even with like a couple of quotes, when you read some of them, you get a full picture of these people. You know who they are. You know where they live. You know how they work. And, um, and it's, you know, I, I'm guessing this is the thing. This is it. This is my theory. This is the thing that has kept you sane your whole life. Ah, uh, Kelly, I, I do believe you're on the money. I really do, Kelly, because it is so much fun for me. And I do look at them these separate ways. And like when I went to uh, when I went to short story school back there in UCLA, mm -hmm. I, I attended your alma mater for eight weeks, Kel. <laughs> well done. Yeah, and I got I got accepted for this guy's class, Tom Filer. He was a real good dude, and uh, I, I wrote these short stories and stuff. And a couple of guys were criticizing one of my short stories uh, <laughs> because it was kind of it was Friday night. It was kind of cold in the story, and a couple of guys got killed because they tried to hold up an Irish bar on payday, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good idea, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and uh, they they were starting to pick it apart for this and that, and uh, you know you don't know who you are because you submitted your story anonymously and stuff like that. Yes. And he said, "No, man." He said, "Let me tell you something about this author." He said, hey, "You might be right about it." He said, "But he plowed along." I like the way he said that. He plowed along with relentless objectivity, a la Chekhov. <laughs> Nice. I, I, yeah, I wasn't making any judgments about the guys who kicked the guy to death or anything like that. You know, it was just another Friday night at, you know, the bar and grill down at the 125th and Broadway. Kelly, you've been in the area. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice area. It, beautiful area. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, what, what years, what years did you live there from? 
Uh, we moved there when I was 10 and George was 5, 1941. Wow. So the begin- Yeah, so... The beginning of the war, and then um, you were there until uh, you went into the... Uh, to the air the for- next war the next day did the next war <laughs> korea wow yeah yeah i joined up in october 50 to go and keep the koreans from landing in frisco man and it was obviously successful well and, and i picture those days i mean i've heard dad talk about them but those days i mean here it is in the 40s and the early 50s and uh I mean, you're on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You're you're couched there between Columbia University and Black Harlem and Spanish Harlem, and uh, and you've got this little enclave of Irish families, and uh, you know I'm and I'm like you know you guys like had zoot suits and all that kind of cool stuff, didn't you? Oh, it was wonderful because well, we were close enough to, uh, to Harlem, right there down by Amsterdam on 25th, that. The jukeboxes got the spillover, so we got the good music mm. in, instead of something by, uh, you know, Patty the, Page. The lame people. <laughs> right. Yeah, we would we would get stuff by by the folks like Lonnie Johnson and things like this, and it was a lot of fun. I I was drinking underage, so you know I was I was hanging out there when I was like fifteen. I could get served. Shocking, and a, a young Irish boy getting served in an Irish neighborhood bar. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it was a black bar. Oh. <laughs> down to 125th Street, it was the 500 Club. Wow. And me and a couple of the other guys went down there. In fact, one of the episodes from from that Reefer and Me in the book is a night when uh, the bartender, Charlie, he took uh, three of us, myself and Davey and Joey, three Irish guys, he took us over to an after-hours club in Harlem called the Abraham Lincoln Lodge. Mm. And yeah, and he got us he got us membership cards and shit and he said we were three of the ink spots. <laughs> and we all went <laughs> we we all we all got a good laugh out of that, you know. And uh, I was like I say, I was fifteen and I went in the can to take a leak because I'd been drinking a lot of gin and beer and uh, two dudes were in there smoking a J and they let me have a couple of hits off it, you know. And uh, that was like my first introduction to reefer. Wow! And then, then I didn't see it again for a few years because it was not around. It was not plentiful, you know. Mm-hmm. And when George came along, five years make a lot of difference. <laughs> By the time George came along, he could go down to Old Broadway and 126th Street there and just get anything he wanted from young Puerto Rican dudes and guys like that, you know. And uh, and, and what ki- was, what kind of weed were they smoking back then? Was it? I mean, it was probably Mexican weed, or uh, probably it. Kelly. Yeah. yeah, more than likely. <clears throat> but it would get you loaded. Oh you yeah, know. I'm uh, sure. Oh, even now I could smoke a ten dollar bag of Oaxacan or something, or, and I could get off on it. You know, that needing something really exotic to get up there. Yeah, a lot of it's the mindset. I do believe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Sure. So, oh, I like. So were you were you aware of um you know like the beat generation going on were you clued into that kind of stuff I mean I know you guys you and dad were into all sorts of music and stuff were you like knowing that there was this like group of guys who were you know kind of trying to like break through from the culture and and do it differently and Allen Ginsberg and all those guys Not at all I was totally unaware of them I was an Irish guy who worked at the Journal American you know, came home and got drunk with my buddies and uh, hung out with the ladies and went to dances and shit. 
And uh, I did not give a political shit about anything except mm. uh, keeping the commies out of the... I belong to the American Newspaper Guild. <laughs> and we knew we had to keep the commies out of there because it was accused of being... <laughs> it was accused of being a commie thing. Wow. So if they had a meeting, uh, you know, because it was founded by Haywood Bruin, and they painted it with that House American, whatever it was, uh-huh. thing. Uh-huh. And they were upset with the American Newspaper Guild and all, because people thought a reporter should be paid more than 18 bucks a week. You right, know? right, right, right. Uh, fucking greedy bastards. And they want to take all of Hearst's money. How fucking dare they? But uh, they, I, I was Hearst's office boy for three weeks, and the guy himself was a champ, Junior. Wow. Oh, he was a champ, man. He drove a powder blue convertible, and he had a, a some kind of a glass horse head on the front of it, and he was the nicest guy in the world. He was like Ralph Bellamy huh. uh, in those 1930s movies, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, everybody liked him. And Aggie worked in that same building. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting thing, Kelly. Those were the days of nepotism, you know. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I went down to, uh, yeah, I, uh, I went down to get a job at the JA when I turned 16. And the guy uh, in the personnel says, uh, ah, we ain't hiring. You can put a nap in and we'll see you in a year or something. And I come home all pissed off and I told Aggie, you know, bah, 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 bah. She said, oh, why didn't you go see my good friend Julia? And I said, I don't know. She said, well, go see Julia. It's in my building on 8th Avenue. So I go down and I see this Julia Rubin, right? She writes me this note and I go down and I see the same dude who told me to go fuck myself. Uh-huh. Same dude. A day later and he says, would you like to be a copy boy, an office boy, or a messenger? Ah, uh, it's who you know, isn't yeah. it? It's who you Julie know. Julie Ruman. Julie uh, Ruman just happened to be the secretary to William Randolph Hearst Jr. There you go. So there you go, and that's Aggie's good pal. That was that. And, that was your Aggie aunt. had. Yeah, your aunt Aggie, oh, my yeah. great aunt. Yep. Aggie had some great. She had great pals in that Hearst thing, man. Uh, they had a guy there, Dick Berlin. He was a big executive because she worked in the lawyer's part. And he was married to Ethel Merman. Wow. And, oh, Ethel loved Aggie. Ethel loved Aggie. We got tickets for, like, uh, Annie, get your gun and shit from Aggie, you know. And uh, Ethel Merman just... was my first impersonation I did at seven years old. Ah, I hope you... <laughs> Good for you. I hope you're cursed like a trooper. <laughs> Did she have a mouth, mouth her, like a sailor? Oh, that was her scene, man. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, it was funny, funny shit, Cal. You know, I remember those days, and I'm glad you do, too. And you, you remember them by being told them, like, in George, George has a bunch of these little CDs, and one of them has cuts on it from he and Teddy Dibble at Coney Island with Uncle Bill Stacy and Aunt Aggie drinking beers, you know. Wow. And and Uncle Bill saying, uh, hey, here's 10 bucks, you guys. Go to Steeplechase and see whatever you want to do, you know. <laughs> and he'd be chewing on that little cigar. And he, he was that guy. He was like Aggie's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But he had been my mother's and George's mother's boyfriend before Pat Carlin came along. Ah. Oh, yeah. So he was always hovering. And then, and he grew H- hovering up around the Carlin Street. ladies. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> or the Beery, the Beery girls. Yeah. But the greatest guy, you would love him. He was in the Navy in WW1, and he was a bailiff down at City Hall. 
And he had a blackjack, Kelly, that was the nicest little one. It was about the size of maybe, say, a half a roll of quarters in the black leather part, but with a little spring to it. I mean, and believe <laughs> me, you could pop that baby. I thought it was so great, right? So of course he's you trying did. to get me into culture. Yeah, he's trying to get me into cultural shit and all to help Barry because I'm getting into high school now. And he says, how about a nice microscope, Pat? Or how about it as a... I said, no, but I'd love one of those blackjacks. <laughs> so, so the funny part was I never told George about that or nothing, okay? So now it's like maybe a year or two later, and George is getting a little bit older, and he's saying to George, oh, yeah, you think you ought to have this or you ought to have that choice? And George says, do you think you can get me a switchblade? <laughs> Oh, you Carlin boys. Oh, oh, he was so funny. I remember reading uh, in in the memoir, Last Words, in in the uh, earlier sections, earlier chapters about, you know, what fucking hoodlums you kids were. I mean, just (laughs) fucking felons. I mean, you know, fucking... I mean, just, you know, breaking in and stealing money out of people's pockets while they're swimming and going into lockers. And and it's like, Jesus Christ almighty. Oh, oh, oh yeah. So fucking funny. Oh, you kids. It was fun. Wow. Uh, I'd come down the corner and they say, what do you want to go, hitching or stealing or breaking in cars? <laughs> <laughs> we used to go up to 120th Street all up around Columbia there. These fucking people that come in from Nebraska and Iowa, Kelly, and they used to park their fucking cars and not even lock them. Forget having to Rude. pop the, the hood, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, pop the little the thing on the door. Right. The door was open. It was amazing, man. Uh, so that was, an e- that was an easy trip. Wow. And, you, oh, yeah. Such and then a, down I, the streets, you know. Oh, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And your dad was good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Was. Oh, I heard. you could touch a 45 RPM record or a comic book, it would disappear. <laughs> it would just whoop right yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was a lot of fun being like that. We the thing was not to get caught, Kelly. Of course, that's you got to remember it's all it's only a crime if you get caught. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you, you get away with it, shit, that's cool. See, and and this makes everything perfect sense for my own uh, experience. You know, going into my own adolescent and teenage years, where you know my my dad he he couldn't really say much to me. <laughs> There wasn't, oh, no. there wasn't much no. of a moral ground to stand on at that point. No. Uh, I love that, Kelly. And you had your good fun, man. Oh, my God. And you were a wildie, and you got a lot of good things out of your system thank, at a young thank, age. Thank God I, I made it through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I always that's had, the thing. I always had the good yeah. sense, though. I knew I wasn't, you know, I knew when to not, like, to draw the line and, like, okay, that that just might kill me. I'm not going so that did, far. And so did he. Yeah. And so did he. Yeah. He never did heroin or none of that stuff. And yep. he had buddies who shot up. He had buddies who mm. shot up at that time. And he had one good buddy that he was laying there and he got, he, they took him in on an OD. And when he came out, I saw him that weekend. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, I said, how come you're not in jail? He says, well, it was in me, not on me. Mm. And he thought nothing of it. But this guy, who was a good buddy of George's, when he decided he wanted to go clean, he took a bus out to Synanon. Ah, I remember and, him. Yep. Yeah, and shaved his head and did his full scene, man. I remember that, yep. yep. And this is, a guy that's, this is a guy who's on the tape with George, 
uh, when Bill and Aggie are giving them uh, money to go play the, you oh, know, do wow. the stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was Teddy. That was, and it, Teddy. I'm not telling the secret on Teddy because he's yeah, the yeah. vice president. Yeah, he talks about he, it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, he goes around talking about shit. I mean, so it was, you You make your choices, Kel, you know, on how far you go. And that's what you did. Yeah. You, you skinned. You did enough. <laughs> and, and and what's so interesting is, you know, it's so funny because people think, you know, people who party are naturally, you know, liberals at what, you know, that time or whatever. And you and both, yeah. both you and dad were, you know, I mean, Mary was a Republican. She was all into businessmen and wanted you both boys to grow up and become, you know, these uh, businessmen of America type of thing. And, and I know, oh, yeah. and I know that my dad, I mean, before he met Jack Burns, he was, uh, you know, he just he voted Republican. That's what he did. And he didn't, oh, sure. He didn't even wake up politically until, you know, Jack sat him down and started t- talking to him about stuff. And, and then I remember, you know, when we moved out here to California, and uh, I mean, you were still going to Catholic church most Sundays, I think, up until your oh, 30s. And I had just voted for Barry Goldwater. <laughs> Who these days, yeah, and I w- these days would be kicked out of the Republican Party because he's so damn moderate. Oh, I know that Barry's too, too, he's too, too much Democrat. <laughs> he would be totally. That's what John Dean I worry told about me. Him. Yeah, he yeah. might be a commie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that's right. And, and I was actually looking for a John Birch chapter to join. <laughs> wow. When, when you guys, yeah, oh yeah, you were tiny. Yeah, you were you were tiny. I was. You, I was. You came out of the, you, I was two and a half, three when we moved out here. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, I was the a wee. Thought you were hobo. They thought they were going to see Hobo Kelly. Uh, oh, and I did. I had a Hobo Kelly Patrick, experience. Patrick and Dennis. They were. We took them down to the airport. They thought Hobo Kelly. We said, "No, this is your <laughs> this is your cousin Kelly." <laughs> they were so excited. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah. know that about. Oh, that's yeah. Funny. But once they saw you, they were double happy. You were better than Hobo Aww. Kelly. Uh, yeah, Cal, it's no bullshit. So, so what? Hey, ha- here's so a guy. When was your big turn? Another- oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say. I just look at you. Missed a guy here. You missed Otto Beata here, and uh, Otto Beata here is he's just your regular blue collar stiff. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I've I've worked with him, and I've had these jobs, and I'll have them again. And here's what he says. Sometimes I wonder why the fuck we're here. Whenever that happens, I pop another beer. (laughs) When the universe seems like an unsolvable puzzle, I get myself a six-pack, which I quickly guzzle. If I think too much and my head starts to hurt, I just throw down a double gin and squirt. All of life's mysteries are simple, you see. If you got enough beer, wine, and whiskey... You gotta be basic, Kel. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, he's. Uh, he's. Uh, yeah, he's one of the ones that I worry about who actually votes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's actually okay, Kel. Yes, okay, he is. Good. Okay, good. Uh, so, so when was your big awakening? Like, when did you know? I know, Dad. We came out in '66, and. Dad turned you on to some weed at that point, and uh, so when did you decide that maybe you don't have to go join the next uh, John Birch chapter society? <laughs> sitting in the car with him. Ah, uh, sitting, in, sitting in the car with him, and we were driving around there on uh, Beverwell. Mm-hmm. 
and smoking. The car was full of smoke, <laughs> and we had he had Bob Dylan on. Ah, very very yeah, and it was uh, positively Fourth Street or like a Rolling Stone. Those were my two favorites, and he <clears throat> would say, you know. You, yeah, I thought, man, all of a sudden I turned to him and I said, you know what? I said, that motherfucker is singing about me. Mm. And that was the end of any of my other, I mean, I, when I drop shit, I drop shit, Kel. It's weird, you yeah. know? It's like when the guillotine comes down, there's no shards. I mean, it's a clean cut. And I just was automatically a 180, Kelly. Mm. Absolutely, man. And I understood. I didn't need anyone to explain it to me. I just knew. I said, wow, you are the man who's been getting fucked here. <laughs> and you are acting like you're one of the fuckers and you are the fucky. <laughs> this yeah. is bullshit <laughs> and jive. Yeah. And your dad never preached to me. He left all of that open to the music. Mm. Yeah, and 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 we would just discuss different shit. And he knew my basic, my basic sense of fairness, you know, which was, I will give you more of whatever you give me. <laughs> if it's, to, hope, hopefully, it's good. <laughs> yeah, he he knew that. He knew that he had, you know, yeah, and uh, it was fine with him, and yeah, it was as natural as breathing, Kelly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if and, if, if you know, it's like I know people know the that interesting, you know, they just when if sometimes they discover something they've known my dad for all the decades, and and you know they go from the straight George to the to the other George, right. you know, and then if if people, right. if people could imagine my uncle Pat was a car salesman in the San Fernando Valley with fine little suits on and short, short hair. And dad had his short hair too. And there's a great picture of you guys in front of the firebird. And uh, it's it's a great picture. And then, and then, and then skip ahead 10 years later and Patrick and his family are on their way to Trinidad and Tobago. (laughs) (laughs) With, I mean, you you had like the longest hair and the longest beard. I remember up in Vermont and, and it was just, I mean, it was such a, such an amazing transformation for, I mean, it was just, you know, everyone, so many people in the culture were going through this transformation, but it, it, it always gives me hope because it's like, you know, if, 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 you know, if any individual can, can wake up and see, like you just said a oh, minute yeah. ago, like, I'm not the fucker, I'm the fucky, I'm the one getting fucked, you know, yeah. uh, you know, and that's all it takes is just, you know, minds to just figure that one out. And, uh, yes. it, it could look like a very different planet in uh, 30 years. Oh, you're on the money, Kyle. You're on the money. That's all it takes is that, that moment. Of, of of looking at the full scene, you know. I remember when I quit drinking. I said, "Gee, you know, maybe maybe if I quit using an alcohol, I won't have to go to court so much." <laughs> How's that? <laughs> That's a good motivator. Yeah. How's that for using yeah. your goddamn higher thinking right there? Damn it. Yeah, I got right in there and figured <laughs> that one out, Cal. And I didn't even do that calculus stuff. <laughs> Let's see how that works. Let's see. If I quit hitting myself in the head with that hammer, I wonder if that swelling will go down. <laughs> yeah. 
Come on. Oh. oh, I know. I know. It only, it only takes a little. It takes. It either takes a little while or it takes a long time, but we only change when we change. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's pretty fucking weird, but that's just the way it is. And I think that's not worth arguing with either. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I found that out. You know, uh, <clears throat> I had someone quit drinking, you know, to make me happy. Right. And it didn't, it didn't work. Yep. And then, and then that same person quit drinking to make himself happy. Yep. And it worked. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, I'll tell you something about uh, words get a bummer. You know that. And selfish is a word that gets a bad connotation. And that's not so because selfish, you cannot get anything good done for anyone else on this whole planet, man. Unless you love yourself first. And that's an important thing. And it's not the kind of selfish love like Midas and you got to have a goal. I'm talking about really loving yourself and caring about yourself. And then you can help someone else. Mm. I mean, doesn't that make sense, Cal? It does. It does. And and I think we're going to end there because it's just a really beautiful, profound sentiment and it's it's simple and yet it it really holds uh, the wisdom of the day and uh and uh which i just love because you know we just went from like the most (laughs) fucked up humor to that fucking profound wisdom hello that's my uncle pat people yeah yeah thank you so much it's all in there together kelly and i'll tell you one little final burst on that if if we're into philosophy because i found it makes your life a lot easier yeah it'll make your life a lot easier to judge each individual as an individual and don't try and say they're this or they're that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it's, all you need is two bins kelly Mm -hmm. two bins because every motherfucker you meet goes into either of these two bins he goes into the non-asshole bin, <laughs> or he goes into the asshole bin. Don't matter where he's worshiping, if he's going to the Church of the Holy Frogs, that uh-huh. don't make a shit. Yep. That's not why he's a prick. He's a prick because he's a prick, so throw him <laughs> in the asshole bin. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Uh, well, everyone, you can go to www.patrickcarlin.com and uh, order his book, Kien Fucking Sabe. Uh, it's uh, just a great fucking ride. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you go, aha. Uh, you'll see the the genius of the Carlin DNA throughout. And uh, you'll you'll it just chuckle. You'll chuckle. You'll fucking chuckle. Mr. Romance alone will make you fucking chuckle every day. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, check him out. And he's also on Facebook. Go find him on Facebook. And, you know, uh, and uh, also, you know, he's showing up at some stages around his house there, uh, getting on stage and talking, talking to you people. So, uh, you know, we're all getting out there with their voice. So thank you, Uncle Pat. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kelly. And have a great night and uh, give Aunt Mar- uh, give my Aunt Marlene a hug. And, and, and my- I, sh- I will. Okay. Good night. Thank you, Kelly. We love you, sweetie. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So uh, there he is in all of his glory. He's just, I just love him. He will get on the phone and, or he'll just send me an email about something. And he's, I said to him, um, I said, I'll call you uh, 
20 minutes. Uh, it'll be 8.20 your time. So he sends me an email back and he says, ah, I love that you call it my time. It's my time. The rest of these fuckers just have to live in my universe. <laughs> Every day it's like that with my uncle. A little just gem comes toward you and you grasp it. So enjoy his his mind and his heart and his soul. As you can hear, it's it's a big one and it's a fun space. Uh, and, um, and, and what else? Uh, Logan, do you have any gigs that are going on here while, while we end the show? I'm doing Top Tune tomorrow. Top Tune? What do you do at Top Tune? I will be paired off with another songwriter and we'll have 17 minutes to write a song and perform it right there and we will be judged. And you actually partner with the other songwriter? We partner with the other songwriter who I will have not met before. Wow. And uh, we just get, we, we are prompted a title and one sentence of like support idea with that title and uh it was one two three go and there's cameras on us the whole time so it's set list for songwriters it's, it's basically a 17 minute prep <laughs> <laughs> like, which is about as little a barrier pretty much you, yeah yeah you you've do. got chords to write and right. shit like that although someday i do want to do like actual set list yeah with, with a guitar oh that and would be, be good like, Okay. We should do that, definitely. So uh, Top Tune here in L.A., uh, Logan will be there. Um, I will be nowhere. I'm just I'm I'm just showing up here. Um, and uh, I my serious XM interview with Rick Overton was going to be this Sunday, but it's Super Bowl Sunday. And we decided, you know, we you know, we don't want to overshadow Super Bowl Sunday. You know, we want people to give a chance to actually watch and listen to the football game. So we decided we're going to do it the following Sunday. But so catch that if you're a serious XM person and uh, some friends of mine, uh, Genpo Roshi, who was on the show recently, he's going to be here in LA this weekend. If you want to go around and get your big mind all expanded and shit like that, well, then go to Genpo, go to bigmind.org and uh, sign up for that event. I think I'll be going on Saturday. And uh, that's it. Uh, next week, I will be in Hawaii. I will be at my mother-in-law's memorial, so uh, it'll be a family time. And yes, okay, I will enjoy the weather too a little bit, but uh, not, not you know, it's not a vacation, although I will be having no Mai Tais. I'll have a virgin Mai Tai this time since I'm not drinking alcohol. Uh, so there'll be no show next week, but uh, we'll, we'll replay something fun and uh, check out my uncle, PatrickCarlin.com. And uh Come check me out, kellycarlin.com. Come check out my page. I'm not actually, I don't have anything booked right now, but a Carlin Home Companion, we're going to be ramping up on that. And, and of course, the serious show and this show. And, and if you want to support our work here at Waking from the American Dream, go check out that page. There's a little PayPal button. Just push on it. And I don't know, just send some love in the form of, you know, $5 or $10 or whatever, and, and support the work we do here, which is um, the long conversation. If you remember from last week, I talked about that, the long conversation. So um, all of you uh, have a great weekend. Uh, ease your way into February. And remember, remember what I said at the beginning of the show. Leave it all on the stage. Have fun. They used to tell me I was building a dream. 
so I follow the mom. When there was earth to plow or guns to bear, I was always there, right there on the drum. They used to tell me I was building a dream. With peace and glory ahead Why should I be standing in line Just waiting for breath Once I built a railroad Made it run Made it rain a railroad now it's done buddy can you spare a dime once I built a tower to the sun brick and rivet and line once I built that tower Yeah. 
Thank you. Stronger than any forest primeval, higher than any bird ever flew. Longer than Liam Neeson's penis, man, the birds of salesmanship, he sings about the Smartco crew. Oh, you just got to follow that bird and he'll take you to a Smartco show. And when you get there, you're going to watch my mouth go. Oh, Smartco show is coming to your town, man. I'm going to tell you all about it with the help of the bird. Give it up for him. Jonathan Livingston sales goal, ladies and gentlemen, the bird of salesmanship. He's up there crowing about January 31st, man. January 31st, we start the Colorado Rush. Me and Jay Muse coming to do Jay and Silly Bob Get Old right there in Durango, Colorado. That's this Thursday at the Community Concert Hall at Fort Lewis College, 7.30 p.m. The ticks are at csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Come on out, man. Durango Unchained for me and Jay, uh, Jay Muse doing Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Then the next night... Boulder, don't feel left out, man. You may not be Durango, but we coming to you anyway, man. If Boulder won't come to us, we'll go to Boulder. February 1st, over-the-shoulder Boulder Holder, Colorado, man. We're going to celebrate their recent relaxation of the weed laws. Me and Jay, we're going to do what we call a podcast there. It's Jay and Silent Bob get old, man, 7 p.m. at the Boulder Theater. Ticks are at csmod.com. And then February 2nd, me and Ralph talking shit and Liam Neeson's dick, man. Hollywood Babylon at 8 p.m. Oh, the bird loves Babylon. If you're looking for a little space monkeys at 10 p.m., uh, Brian Johnson and Brian Quinn, uh, forget it. Sold out, man. Sorry. And you're sitting there going, what? Did I miss my chance to see TV's Brian Johnson on the West Coast? You did not. Monday night at the Lovitz, February 4th. You've seen it on YouTube. Now see it on stage and watch us do it as a podcast for the first time. The world premiere of Why Bry. Me and comic book men's Brian Johnson. Tell them Steve Dave's Brian Johnson. 8 p.m., man. Tickets are only 10 fucking bucks. How can you not go? And how can you not go to San Francisco on February 6th to see me and my good lady wife? You want to get some oral from my wife while I watch? And then I'll give you oral? And then we'll both use our mouths on you? For money? Then come see Plus One Live, man. Me and my good lady wife, Jen Schwabach, talking love, marriage, and butthole pleasures. Cobb's Comedy Club, February 6th, part of Sketch Fest San Francisco, man. Now back to the podcast. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.